Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Good afternoon and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete Launton, and we have the the infamous Donna Kennedy. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nice <laughs> to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. So Donna, give us a bit of background. Who are you? Um, well, I'm a six times best-selling author, a psychologist, and I do a lot of motivational talks as well, um, amongst many other things. Um, but they're my my three favourites. <laughs> um, I guess I'm a, a bit of background. I'm from Mayo um, in Westport, born into a beautiful family. Um, you know, all very close, a big family, the seven of us. Um, and I guess my passion for helping people arose out of experiencing difficulties myself and having to overcome challenge myself. Um, so when I was seven, I guess it, it started from there. Um, I was uh, I was raped by somebody who came to our home, um, and I just didn't know what to do with it because obviously it's a it's a thing um, for people. So I managed uh, to hide it, but obviously you don't you don't hide that kind of thing in in your mind. It's still there. Deal with it. So you you know you cope. You try and get on with life as normal as you can, um, and. Um, I went along and then, you know, I was bullied when I was about 12 and I think my self-confidence was quite low at that point. So I was walking home one day from school and I passed a news agent and I just went in and for whatever reason, I wasn't a magazine reader then. I was not now, but at that particular I'd well, maybe if I use, if I lose um, six pounds, people might like me. Um, so ridiculously, I started to, you know, I was doing laps of the pitch at school. I was doing basketball, cycling, 50 lengths of the pool, crazy stuff. And I lost six pounds. <clears throat> and then um, for it kind of, it was almost like it became an addiction and I, I had to lose more. Um, anybody who has ever experienced anorexia, which it ended up being, um, knows that it's not about vanity at all. Um, it's about control it's about um the numbers going down on the scale and getting a little fix or a little hit each time a little bit like a drug i suppose and every time you reach that target you you nearly you have that kind of reward feeling um and i went down i'm five for ten in height so i went down to five stone which is you know about i don't even know what a weight i am now but about half uh the weight i am now um is quite incredible when i look back uh, I went, eventually it got so bad that I went into a very short coma um, and I also was given a week to live because obviously my organs were shutting down and, and whatnot. Um, fast forward that, I guess, it, you know, thankfully I did get help, um, largely due to my mother and my father and my local GP. Um, they really stood by me. Um, nobody understood it at the time. I didn't understand it at the time. But eventually I was 15 and I was sitting, I had come out of a coma and I was sitting on the bed and um, my mom said, look, Donna, I don't know. I said, Mom, I don't know how to, to get better. I don't know. I mean, the, the logical um, reason was, you know, my grandfather gave me a great solution, which was eat six miles per hour a day and drink, keep drinking Coke, which and logically that makes perfect sense. Yes, it does. Um, but for me, it wasn't a solution at the time. So 
I just said, Mom, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, I don't either. So it was very much in a catch-22, um, even though all the logical answers. And when we're, and this is for in the general population, you know, when we're in a situation sometimes when we have all the logical answers, yet we don't still implement those logical answers, it's because there's something emotional and psychological there um, behind it. So um, eventually I worked through that. And thankfully I overcame it. Um, I'm now healthy. And um, I eventually, and I know I'm, I'm giving you a nutshell version here, but um, I went on to do modeling. I got myself a job. Um, I got back into school. Um, I got into college. I was top of my class in college. Um, you know, everything was going really well. And uh, psychology is what I was, I actually did psychology in college and it was just, it was, it's a quite competitive um, subject, believe it or not. You, you think it'd be the last subject that, that would be, but it is. So I had to focus a lot to do it and I really put my heart and soul into it um, and I did well. Um, I got uh, first in my top of my class uh, for first year, but then I had a car accident um, and I basically hit my head. And this was like, it was almost like round two, I suppose, um, of challenge. But I, I hit my head in the car accident and I just, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a case where I was bleeding all over or whatever, but I just afterwards, I, I guess I, I <laughs> the way I was like, oh, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And don't give me an ambulance, I want to go home. So I went home. And for about two weeks after, I just started to experience symptoms of the, at the time, I used to say it was like dreaminess. Um, I felt very detached from my surroundings. Um, you know, I, I just felt that I was out of sorts. I was hearing mumbles in my head, um, like you're, when you're under a swim pool. I just, you know, I just, just know what it was. Um, so I said it to my mom, I said, look, there's something wrong. She said, I know. And I said, but I don't feel in any way emotional. I didn't feel depressed. I didn't feel any inclination to do, you know, even my old behavior. So she said, look, let's go into the doctor. <coughs> Excuse me. So I did. And the doctor was a locum and, and she said, look, take antidepressants. And um, she based it on my, my youth. Um, and I said, but I'm not depressed. And she said, well, look, take them anyway. They'll make you feel better. Because obviously she had her 15 minutes doctor time and she didn't investigate it any further. Um, so I was actually put in for a psychiatric assessment. Um, and I was in the hospital and I was sitting in the waiting room and this lady came over and she kind of poked a green card again she poked me in the chest and she uh, obviously at that age you know you're looking at the ground you don't want to look up and, and realize where you are um so she came over and she said once you're in here you'll always be back she said this place has a revolving door and it's the last thing I wanted to hear um but you know that was what was presented to me so I looked up anyway and um my mom and my dad can come out of the psychiatrics or the psychiatrist's uh, office and mom had been crying and I thought, my God, I have cancer or I have something, you know, I mean, I wasn't mm. thinking, I just didn't understand. Um, and remembering that I studied psychology, not psychiatry. So there is a difference. And um, so when she came out, you know, I, I thought, what's going on here? And a mom came over and she basically said, Donna, they're saying you have schizophrenia and you have to, you have to be committed. Um, they're not letting you go home and they're going to put you on uh, medication as quickly as possible. So what so age were you then? Sorry. Yeah. What age were you then? Were you then? I was. I was nearly twenty. Okay. Um. So I guess they just they put, you know, they put numbers together and they just came up with the wrong conclusion. Um. Right. They didn't have the time. I spent about ten minutes with the psychiatrist. Mum and dad spent about the same. So in that time, you don't really learn a lot, especially if you don't know the person, sure. um, beforehand. So. They basically gave me a medication, which has since been taken off the market. Um, but they gave me the medication. They gave me a sleeping tablet to get me through the night. They gave me an anxiety tablet um, to calm me down. 
Um, not that I was in any way irate, but you know, they just do that. Um, and within three months, I was on 14 medications and I was like a dribbling zombie. Those uh, stereotypes that you see, like with the bulging eyes and the drained look and, you know, staring and that. And um, mm. my mom and dad just saw me deteriorate and they knew that it wasn't, it wasn't me. Um, although after the accident, I was having times where I was uh, feeling dreamy. There were more episodes, um, but I couldn't, uh, you know, I was still have my job, I, you know, everything. Um, so everything was, I was fairly well functioning aside from these episodes. So uh, my mum and dad and my GP and a few strings pulled and all the rest got me into another hospital, um, which was also a psychiatric hospital because I was in that system. So you had to be moved from one place to the next. So I went into the new place and um, the doctor basically did interviews with my mom and dad, a few people that knew me, asked what they had uh, seen, you know, witnessed themselves and how they felt. And then they had a, a good chat to me. Um, and my dad was very angry at this point because everybody knew I didn't have schizophrenia. Mm. Um, and he basically said, like, you know, Donna was perfectly normal uh, before the accident. Now she's like this. Surely to God, it has something to do with the accident. And the psychiatrist in the new hospital said, um, what accident? Uh, it wasn't in my file. Neither was the scan that was taken of my brain um, in, the, in, in the general hospital, uh, which showed a hematoma on my left temporal lobe. Um, so basically he said, you know, I'm 99% sure now of what Donna has, which has let me, you know, monitor for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, let's take her off the medication that she's on and reintroduce and whatever. So they monitored me, nurses, the whole lot. And um, I was diagnosed with uh, complex partial epilepsy, which I do have. And I have that for the last 19 years. Um, so I just have episodes now. It's very well controlled. I lead a functioning, normal life, as you know. Um, I went back to college. And despite everybody, I said, right, I'm back to college. <laughs> I'm getting a first class honours degree. I'm not doing this for nothing. Um, so I went back and I got a first class honours degree. Um, I opened up my first practice at 24. You know, so I really... I suppose I excelled very quickly, but I did it not just out of my own uh, willpower. Um, I figured that if I could find people who had what I wanted, people who'd overcome different circumstances of difficulty, that maybe if I kind of copied their strategy or learned something from them and then implemented it, maybe I could come up with something similar. And I just noticed that a lot of people who were getting outstanding results, not just results, you know, the, the mediocre kind of, if you want to be a baker, like the mediocre, mediocre baker, these were people who were you know, top class. And I kind of thought, well, there's obviously something, something in common with all these people, something that they're doing. So firstly, I started to read books and I was listening to CDs and then I started to watch DVDs. Then I was uh, going to seminars as it got stronger and workshops and so on. Um, and I realized that the one thread that they all had in common, that it didn't matter where they came from, it didn't matter what academic education that they had, and nothing. The only thing that was making them successful, in quotes, was uh, their mindset. Mm. And I thought, you know, this is quite interesting. Like I'd been studying psychology. I was very, uh, very interested in the biology of the brain um, for obvious reasons. Um, and uh, I was very interested in behavior. And I decided just to study it, but in a different way. So I was kind of going down the path of clinical psychology. I'd got my interview. Um, I'd been chosen to, to go through and I decided actually it's not for me. Um, I, want to, I want to broaden it up. I want to use the practical knowledge that I have um, and the strategies that I've learned. So I learned speed reading. I've learned um, different visual techniques, breathing techniques, 
um, you know, how to use your brain for effectiveness, immediate and long term, all those kind of things from these people. So I wanted to use those um, skills so that I could help other people who were in difficult situations. Um, mm-hmm. And they went from everybody who maybe needed a little bit of self-esteem to people who were, you know, maybe the night before they had tried to kill themselves or, you know, that they were uh, eggshell cases, as I would call them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I set up my practice. Um, I had a, it, it literally became so busy. Um, it was, you know, four, it was full on of six clients a day, an hour, you know, a day, six days a week. So what was your specialty there with the business and, and the practice? What was, what were you focusing on? Well, funnily enough, um, because I'm qualified in counselling, um, originally it was counselling, I'm also qualified in NLP, I'm qualified in lots of different things because I did lots of different courses. Mm. Um, and I guess I suppose I didn't really have a judgment when people came in. Uh, the question I used to always ask them was, um, you know, and the only reason I, I shut down my practice um, and I kind of, I suppose I only semi-shut it down because I'm still doing it, um, but I'm doing it more so in groups and on stage than I am in a one-to-one. Um, but it was just, I got so busy and then obviously I met my partner and we moved locations and that kind of thing. Um, but I never had like a, this is the only kind of person that can come through my door. It was the first question I'd ask is, what do you want from coming here? It's not up to me to decide that. So for some people it was, you know, I want to be able to get up in the morning or I want to be able to feel that I can live. Um, and for other people, it may be, I want to create a multi-million euro business and I don't know how. Um, so it, it ranged so much, but my role wasn't really to decide what their goal was. The goal process is the same. If you ask anybody who's ever achieved something um, above average, they'll tell you the goal process is always the same. Um, it's just the, the goal can be different. Um, so you need, you know, you need to get motivation, be able to create it. You need to be able to create it, create momentum, maintain momentum, um, you know, find your why, find your passion, all those different things that you have to have to achieve a goal. Yeah. Um, and I used every bit of knowledge that I had learned up to that point. And I basically looked at what the person wanted, um, what I felt would be the best approach. And I implemented that approach. And thankfully, um, I never lost anybody when it came to suicide. I get plenty of... Um, plenty of thank yous and I'm in touch with a lot of people um, still. So, you know, it's, it has been a massively rewarding experience. I guess I've just upscaled it now to uh, being global and, um, you know, doing the stage, uh, you know, speaking so I can impact more people at one time. Mm. Um, And I guess it's just, again, you know, refining strategies that I've learned and building on those strategies each time and continuing to learn from other people as well. Um, and expanding my knowledge base. So, you know, this time in 10 years, I'll be a lot wiser than I was, you know, <laughs> today. And 10 years ago, I'm a lot wiser today than I am 10 years ago. So um, that's what it's about. I think it's, and I'm very much into the togetherness as well. And I think we're, if we all kind of got our egos out of the way and, and understood that every single one of us is in the same boat, we just happen to be going through different journeys because we're different people. Um, but essentially, we're all in the same boat. Um, and if we get to a point where things get rocky, then we need to be able to help other people. We need to be able to step in um, because sometimes it was some, at some day it will become our turn um, and we would hope to God that someone would help us. And that's, I think if we have that um, togetherness and collaborative approach, I think everybody comes out of it well. Um, you know, where I think in Western society in particular, we've developed a very minimalist kind of, um, you know, grab onto what you have and don't dare let anyone else have a piece of it. <laughs> and that's the only way I can do well. Um, and I've just found that that's, you know, that the people I've met who have that approach are uh, very unhappy mm. um, or they're not very successful at all. Whereas people who 
you know, any idea that I've ever had and the people I hang out with now, it's, you know, I put out an idea on the table. It's not like, oh my God, that's a stupid idea. Or I sure, you know, that, that'd be great. We'll see how that one works out. So like, great, this is fantastic. Let's see how we do it. Um, you know, I, I mentioned my son has, has written a book this week and to be published this week. And again, it was just a case where a lot of people would say, you know, even people that I know, and um, say so Ashton is writing a book and they go, oh, isn't that cute? But never an expectation that would actually ever happen. Yeah. Um, where he says to me, I want to write a book. I say, great, let's make it happen. Let's just, we need, might be the creative or whatever, but let's do it. And when you have that kind of let's do it approach, ideas come in, you don't have the boundaries because you're quite flexible and you're willing to bring in other people's skills and, and ideas. And, you know, it's a kind of more so creative process and you get a lot better results with it. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. I look at what do people want and it doesn't matter to me what it is. My role is just to get them there and to do it in the shortest amount of time in a way that lasts long term. You know, I'm quite passionate about what I do. So, so I have to get the results from the happy. So, you know, that's just, I suppose, the way I am. You know, it's, um, I love people, seeing people happy. I love seeing people successful. And by that, I mean being the best that they can be. Mm. What part of that? I mean, I'm just curious to know, you know, what, what's your happy place in that process? You know, is there, I'm sure there's, there's certain parts that you excel at and you just naturally love and other parts, maybe not so much, but is there, is there certain parts of the process you enjoy more than others? Um, I love when I get the results. Um, I know there's sometimes there's hard work involved and that kind of thing, doesn't matter what it is, but I love when I get the results for people and their reaction um, I also love meaning when people feel that they have a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. Um, I believe that hugely affects our life and affects our longevity um, and our mental health and physical health. And mm. uh, so I love, I love when I see that. I love when people suddenly it's like, you know, the, the shine, the sparkle comes on or, or it comes back. And it's like, God, yeah, I, I didn't know I could do this. And they get all excited. For me, that's the, that's the mm. bit I love. Um, people are, for the most part, nine out of 10 people will beat you down nine out of 10 people will tell you that it's a silly idea either verbally or they'll just imply it. Um, and I think, you know, it's that 1% uh, to be around that 1% who have good thinking, who play around and become more childlike um, rather than childish, but maybe the other ones are childish, but <laughs> been childlike and, and creative and been like an excited child at times, but with, you know, it's like take, you know, live with your heart, but take your head with you kind of thing. Mm. Um, and that's just what I, what I do with my own life and what I do with other people. And I guess for me, it's just about giving people that, that sparkle, igniting it. And like you say, you know, you fire in the belly. It's, it's different words, but essentially it's, it's similar. It's a similar passion. It's of igniting, um, you know, igniting that spark and making it grow. Um, for me, maybe it's because I'm female. I just like sparkles. <laughs> maybe, maybe I just see those sparkly things going on. Um, and also I believe a lot in scientifically in uh, energy and we are if any if you know if people look at even the most basic thing we are all molecules we are all just floating around there and depending on how fast something is vibrating we'll predict what form it takes which may seem a bit far out but when you understand uh, energy at a scientific level um, you can really use it to excel your results um, because you get them quicker because you're going in line with nature as opposed to against it you're going with how our brain works, how our biology works, how even, I mean, even I study quantum physics, you know, how does, how does that work? How, how can we use that tool, um, if you like? And I found one of the most powerful things is 
understanding how our energy works. And there's, you know, people just simply YouTube it um, or Google it and they'll find some pretty solid uh, evidence to back up that if we can create a lot of movement or create a lot of vibration and high frequency mentality, results are, are easier to get. It's simple as that. And you'll find people who are very successful have that high frequency mentality and they hang out with people of also of high frequency. So between, you know, that group, there's a high vibration. Um, and I think that's why as well, both negative and positive, if you, have, if you look even on a, on a negative sense, if you look at a war, you have one person um, who may have a cause, you get, you know, a thousand people with that cause, the level of energy and power is like colossal. Um, you know, you look at the images across, you know, you pick different countries and you have people just marching like in sync, like it's nearly intimidating. It's, it's that powerful. Um, and it's the same on the flip side as from a positive sense. If you, if you want a result and you want it quick, you have to create a high enough energy around it to make sure it happens with, um, you know, with that, that power, with that force behind it. And the only way we can do that, really, in my opinion, in my experience, is to be around people and to fill your mind with stuff that is high energy. And I'm not talking about like, you know, your high fives and aren't we all great? <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who think well, um, people who think well of other people, people who speak well of other people, people who are there to create, people who are there to, um, you know, help other people and to add uh, to what could be an amazing thing. Um, and I think, you know, the more people that we do, and that's why, you know, I mean, you, that's because I know the power behind it. I know that if you get great minds together, um, you know, you can move mountains very quickly. Hmm. What is it about that when, when almost in sort of the mastermind type principle, I assume, what happens? Can, you know, are you any the wiser when great minds come together? What, what is it? They're on the same energy frequency. They've been through all the low frequency rubbish um, and they come out of it and raise their standards. So if you look at, um, somebody, for example, who's either they're very angry or they're maybe very depressed or and then it's negative type emotion. Um, they're kind of stuck. They're in like a frozen energy, if you like. And it's very hard. to. It's very rigid. And it's very hard. So in order to, to break out of that, you have to, there's no other way of doing it other than taking action and, and moving. Um, and if you look at the greatest people who, who are great thinkers, if you like, they're very into action. They're very into taking steps. They don't sit there and do nothing. They are very into, right, let's do this. Let's make this happen. And they take these steps. Although those steps can be small, there's many of them. So I guess when people are, are around like-minded people, you know, the, the, you, it's not necessarily when people say, you know, with the law of attraction is that you attract people, but like ions actually repel each other. Um, so that's, you know, the, it's a semi-law, but it's not, a, it's not an exactly, you know, what you think about comes about is, is the law of attraction. Um, but for me, it's not, it's not all about that. It's, that's only a segment of the puzzle. And for me, there's a huge part um, about vibration. And when people, well, you see when, when things move together, they move together because they're vibrating at the same frequency. But anything, I mean, you can take the basic experiments in science. You go into a lab, the basic experiments in science, like you have magnetics, you, know, you, you magnetize and there we go. Or you can, you know, it's either attraction or repulsion. Um, and if you can if you can find people who will raise up that frequency, will raise up that vibration, you just find yourself, you know, vibrating with the right people. It's like, it's, you know, I often use a, um, an analogy of a, a phone. Phones have different frequency. The phone is just a thing, like we're just a person. 
Um, it depends on what conversation you want to have. And if you want to have a conversation with somebody that's, that's quite detailed or somebody that's, that's quite you know, cool, they have lots of things going on, uh, you have to be prepared to be able to get the, you know, the phone that, that works to make that happen. Um, you know, we, we can talk here because we're on a computer, but, you know, if you didn't have a computer, you couldn't talk to me. Or if I didn't have one, I couldn't talk to you. So in order to create a goal, you have to have, you have, to have the right tools um, and the right tools, the right people to implement them. So I make sure it's not a snobbery thing. I'm sure people, lots of people think that I'm a snob. Even my, one of my best friends actually thought I was a snob when they first met me. <laughs> but, so maybe I come across at times as a, as a bit aloof, but it's i uh, I'm very selective. Um, I love everybody. Don't get me wrong. I, I really do. I just, I love people. Um, but I'm very selective as to who I let into my mind because you know, your, your mind, I see it nearly like a garden and do you allow people to throw trash in it? Well, you wouldn't. Well, your mind is more precious, so you're not going to allow people to stamp all over it. Um, and sometimes if you allow people who criticize you or you allow people who are mean to you, um, who are jealous or horrible, um, if you allow that in, it affects you even physically. Uh, and I'm not, ha- I'm, not, I'm not prepared to give up my mentality or my body to, to anybody. Um, I make sure that it's, I look after myself. And that means seeking out and being around uh, good minds. And that's how, you know, Pat and I are around people all the time who have very good minds. You know, you have conversations, you've had conversations, and I know you will, several of them. Conversation is different than you'll have with somebody who's in an angry state or mm-hmm. somebody who's in a jealous state. Um, very, very different conversations. And you'll feel very different physically after you speak with them. That's mm. interesting. You, you triggered a question there for me is, you know, would you say that you're understood? Um, depends on who you're asking, I suppose. <laughs> 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 if you ask my family, you might get one answer. Oh, that one is mad. But you know what? I always look at, you know, mad is making a difference or major advantage. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, no, on a, on a serious note, I actually don't know. And I don't, um, I don't really care because, you know, mm. I'm not here to judge whether people understand something or not. I mean, it's like, you know, I think... I'd be quite pompous if I'd be thinking that, well, you're not at my level, you know? Um, so I just, if people understand what I do, great. If they don't, I'll try and help them if they want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they, if they don't, mm-hmm. um, then that's entirely their own business. You know, I have my own to look after. So um, I don't mm-hmm. know. But I think even on, on, on the level of even communicating, you know, some people struggle with the words or trying to express themselves. I mean, blatantly, I mean, you, you're an author and things like that. So I, I would suspect communication is pretty strong for you and you certainly come across very well i was just i was just curious you know some people go yeah but you just the people don't understand always how, how much i'm thinking and you know and, and well that I suppose that's why i use in my talks a lot of analogies i don't talk about frequency and and vibration and the the ins and outs of the details and um, i can mention those words mm. but then in the explanation of those words um, I use analogies. I use an analogy, for example, today I use an analogy of a phone, but I go into it more detail or I use an analogy of a computer or I might use an analogy if you're or, um, an analogy of a, a car, uh, if you are going on a journey of goal setting. I mean, so I'll always use analogies in order to help people understand at a basic level. You know, and I, I've said this a million and one times um, to people who are speakers, you know, you get on stage and you are, whether you realize it or not, you're a person of authority, but what you say, people take as truth. So you better be sure that what you're saying is truth and you better be sure that you're giving a clear message because if you're not, you're not meeting moral obligation. So when I go on stage or I enter a room, my, every time I enter a room before I go on stage, I say, right, there's one person in here. I hope I affect everybody, but there's one person in here who 
who doesn't have a huge level of intellectual understanding, um, they may be in a very bad place. But my role is to get a message very simply across to them and to bring them out of a bad place into a good one. And so I'm not there to sound intelligent. And even if you read any of the books, it's a conversational style. Um, you know, I don't need to, what, like, what is the point of telling people big words without explaining them other than to show your own self-importance and intellectual intelligence? Um, if, you're, mm. if you're genuine and you're, you feel that you're in line with your moral obligation, which that's how I feel about when I'm on stage, I just feel that I have an obligation to deliver the messages that I've learned but that has to be delivered in a way that people can actually understand them. That's the point. Um, so I use, you know, I break things down a lot. I use, you know, I use graphics, I use animation, um, you know, even at a basic level, even, you know, you look at a seven-year-old, my child is seven. I don't explain things to him in the same way as maybe an adult will have a conversation with an adult. They may be the same concepts. You know, we were talking about the solar system today, for example, because he, he has to be homeschooled. So the solar system, to, you know, in my mind, is, <laughs> you might as well learn about that as, as one topic or first aid or, you know, uh, biology or whatever mm. it might be. But I'm not going to stand there or sit there and I'm not going to talk to him in, in highfalutin concepts that he doesn't understand because what's the point? Um, and I'm not going to do that mm. to an adult. So when I'm in a room or I'm, I'm on stage, I always think, you know, how could I explain this? as if it was to a five-year-old child. And that's not mm. to insult anyone's intelligence. It's to basically get the message across so that I know when people leave that room, they get what I'm saying. Um, if there's any misunderstanding or if there's any uh, uncertainty, those people come up and they'll ask me, very, very few, um, but they may say, well, what do you mean by that? Or, or it's actually, it's never what do you mean by that. It's more, mm. can you elaborate on that? I'm interested in it. Um, and then I'd take them then to, to a different um, kind of zone if they, if they want to learn about something else. Um, but I'm not there to sound intelligent. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people as speakers make. And um, they're too polished. Um, mm. I'm not there to be polished. I might look polished, but I'm not there to be. I like my, as I said, I like my sparkles and my, my hair and my makeup and the whole lot. But I'm, at a core level, I'm, I'm real. And I think you need to be real and authentic uh, to get results, to get mm. long term results of people you can give people a quick fix but it's not good enough mm, it's more just out of interest and you tapped on it there again is uh, what would you say your core, core values, values are would be integrity for sure honesty and love and mm-hmm. um, they're definitely i have i have many values as of us all but they would be uh my my three um and i i just think we should all have a love for people i think it's it's what people crave um you know people do love people love to be loved um and i guess that maybe it's just because i'm kind of heart-centered and the integrity and the honesty thing is because i've always felt that in order to get results for yourself or for other people you can't beat around the bush you have Mm -hmm. to give it as it is in its raw form so it's even something i mean i get clients to to do out i actually get them to graph it um their life in a very honest raw way sometimes they like doing it and sometimes they don't um, but at least we know where we're mm. starting from. And that's a great place. And then integrity, I guess, is, you know, if, if, you, if you say you're going to do something, you better damn deliver on it. You know, that's where I look at it. So what's the point otherwise? You, you know, you, and that's for me as well. I mean, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Um, and I would expect the same thing mm. from other people. Um, not everybody would have the sure. same value. So again, you know, you hang out with people who do. Mm. 
Is that, um, just out of curiosity, is that sort of values you had from your upbringing and your home? Um, I think it's, they've always been a value of mine. Um, I, values, I think they've developed over time um, because I've learned more about people and I've learned that not everybody is as you see them. Um, but you don't want to, for example, I mean, I was obviously, um, I was caught out by dishonesty a few times and caught out by people maybe uh, not behaving in a way that they that they should towards humanity. Um, but I guess you can't have an expectation that everybody will. You can't have an expectation that everyone will treat you right. But you can have that expectation mm. of yourself. And if you have at least that expectation of yourself, you have a standard, you know, that you can be proud of. So I don't mistreat people. Um, I'm sure, certainly unintentionally, I may have hurt people throughout my life. Um, certainly with the anorexia, I hurt a lot of people. Uh, not that I wanted to, but because I guess my, my need for a control at that time um, but now that I understand things better, now that I'm in a better place, I'm in a position that I can implement mm. my values a lot more. Um, I don't have to answer mm. to anybody as such. I, I don't feel I ever have to. And that way you can be authentic and people know when they meet you, it's, you know, whatever about the surface stuff, they, they get to meet you. Um, you know, the, there's no, there's no pretense. And then every conversation you have after that, you know, can be a cool conversation because there's no like, Oh God, I, you know, I hope they don't find out this about me or I hope they don't, you know, so this is me. Words yeah. and all, you either like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, good luck with it. There's plenty of people who do. Um, and that's, I suppose that's the way I live. And I guess I'll add more to that as I go along in my life, no doubt. Um, but for the moment, I think, yeah. you know, when I, when I see people that are genuinely and truly happy and I've been a part of that mm. and that's a very satisfying feeling for me because I know they feel valued. I know they feel, they feel loved and they feel wanted. And at the end of the day, you know, every person I've ever worked with, every conversation that I've ever had in relation to psychological help um, or wanting to be performing better has come back to one thing and that is wanting to be good enough and to be accepted. Um, you know, you look at public speaking, somebody will quite happily share their knowledge to one person. You put them up on a stage and they have total meltdown. And if you look at the only differences between the two are there's a big bunch of people and there's a little voice in their head going, I hope they think I'm good enough. I hope I don't have a, mm. have a guess, say something that doesn't sound stupid. What's if you weren't worried about them judging you? Um, yeah, and you can... Mm. You can spread that out over a lot of different things. Um, you know, you, jealousy is all about, you know, um, how do I weigh up again? How do I measure up against those people? Um, and any, if you look at any situation relative to importance or relative to confidence or anything, it will always come back to that. Once you take out all the layers, that's what it will come back to. And that's, I suppose that's a back to when we're even born. I mean, if you think, you know, when we come out of, mm. of the womb, we'd want to make sure that we're liked because otherwise we don't get fed. So we do the little smiles and the gagas and the gagas and oh, isn't that lovely? And we cry until we get what we want because, you know, mm. we need to be satisfied as, as basic human beings. And we don't, unless you have a, a certain type of upbringing, I don't think, you know, we get out of that fully. Um, and it's, it's no harm, but I think sometimes it can be, it can be a negative. Um, because people do things to be liked um, and they, mm. they are non-authentic to be, you know, because of that. You look at social media at the moment. I mean, 
people don't put up as much selfies anymore because <laughs> they don't have access to makeup or they don't have access to the hairdressers, <laughs> you know, or, or people maybe are, um, they put up their best photographs, they put up the photos of their, their lovely Christmases or of their, you know, the perfect holiday snaps where they might have been killing the head off each other <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Um, and people do that because they like to show a version of themselves to the world. Mm. Um, and I think now, actually, with all these restrictions and, you know, and I think it's actually humbling in a way because people, you either show people your real life or you don't show them at all. And it's a need for people to communicate. It's a need, it's, it's basic needs that people don't like isolation. We are, we crave being part of a wider community. And if we're not, if we, we go into isolation, we can go in all different negative consequences. So people still crave that communication. Um, but when you can't pull off the, you know, I'm in Hawaii today with my lovely partner and we're, you know, we're having our whatever <laughs> drink by the five-star pool. Uh, when you can't do that and you're in your house and, you know, you just have to give it as it is. So it's bringing people back to what actually matters um, and allowing people to communicate mm. at a very real level, which maybe it's just me, but I, I just think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And I hope to God after all the restrictions are moved, I hope that continues. Yeah. That's definitely, I think it's a massive change. It's probably, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolution or revolution in some ways, but I will tell. Look at the, the call Just, we had the other day with, um, with Mark Victor Hansen. I mean, he's a hugely sought after speaker and there were people on that call, I'm sure, you know, they, want, they wouldn't dare let anyone kind of see what the real lives are like. But I mean, I took Ashton, you know, he wanted to tell people that he wrote a book. So he came up, he sat on my knee and talked to everybody and he was fine and everyone was, was quite okay with it. Um, and a lot of people are good. Like if, if your kids right now, you know, ran in behind you, I mean, it's, if I had a problem with it, then that says something about me, you know, I think it would be, yeah, you know, it's, it's mm. just normal and natural. And that's what I'd love to continue um, after, you know, after all this stuff that, that we find ourselves in at the minute. Mm. I'm just curious to go back in, in terms of, you know, we're talking about values and I suppose through your anorexic period, you know, what sort of values would you associate with someone, you know, with anorexia? I mean, what's, what's typical there? I think the values there? are the same, but just the ability to execute them are different. Um, we all have basic needs. Okay. So if you like, and I often liken it to a plant, a plant needs water, air, sunlight, soil, etc. If it gets some imbalance, it blooms. So it is born to bloom. It is born to know what it needs. If you take light away from okay. a plant, you know, people will say, well, what happens? And their initial thing is it dies. Well, it doesn't actually. It'll only die if you leave it that way long enough. Um, the first thing it will do, it will move towards the, the nearest um, source of sunlight. Um, it'll look miserable doing it, but it will do it. If it doesn't get water, it'll scrunch it from its leaves and it looks miserable, but it will do it. So when you don't have the tools and the skills and none of us are bor you know, born into the environment with the guidebook, um, when you don't have them, you do your best to get your needs met. So my life just went totally out of control. Control is a human need. You know, I'm not on about control, con control, excessive control. Um, I'm on about we need to have our lives in some sense of order. So it's not in chaos. Mm. Um, but my life was thrown into chaos and I just needed to bring that back to, to basic normal level. The unfortunate thing was I didn't know how to do it. So I just like a pendulum, I just threw it the other way. Um, and it was only until I learned how to bring a level of order into my life and calmness and, and peace of mind that I didn't have to go for those behaviors. I don't believe I am anorexia. I don't believe I am anorexic. Um, right now I'm, I'm eating very healthily. Um, could I go back to that behavior? Yes. But could I take drugs? Yes. Could I, you know, 
do anything. Yes, of course I could, but I choose not to. Mm. So I don't think it's useful for people to take on labels as their identity. I think if people understand their needs and understand that we all have needs, they're all the same. Um, like plants, you know, every plant needs, needs the same thing. Um, but if our needs are thrown off balance, the reality is unless we have the tools to bring it back into balance, something will go wrong. For me, it happened to be anorexia. And the reason for that is because I simply happened to, you know, come upon a magazine that was like an idea. Mm. And I ran with that idea. I could have equally come across, you know, some people in the school that were doing drugs. They offered me a drug and I possibly would have taken it. I don't know. Um, some people become, they engage in bullying behavior. Some people drink too much. Some people procrastinate, smoke, whatever. You, you pick it. It's, I mean, it's just behaviors. And people will generally um, go for the behavior that fits that need at that time. But it's only when you learn the mm. strategies and when you learn the skills as I did, you don't actually have any need for that behavior anymore. So it goes. I don't have any need to control everything anymore because I have order and peace of mind in my life and I maintain it. Now, that said, I'm not stupid or naive enough to think that I could never go back to a negative behavior again. Um, the reality is, though, because I'm so aware of what I need and I'm so aware of how I work as a person, um, I have strategies in place so that if I ever feel that my needs are thrown off balance, the reality is life happens. Um, and I'll give you an example. When my mom died, um, you know, which was only four years ago. Um, yes, I'm out in the public eye all the time. Um, but could I go back to that behavior because my life felt totally out of control? I mean, I was super close. Um, and for four months, it was just like even six months, you know, it's just my world collapsed. But I was smart enough to know that I could go for a negative behavior. So I basically said to Pat, you know, my partner, I just said to him, look, um, I'm feeling vulnerable right now. So I just want you to make sure that you notice me eating breakfast every day because I knew if I ate breakfast every day, I continue to eat normally. Um, you know, if I feel that I need to have a chat, I may need to have a bit more of a chat for the next while than I normally would. Um, but those systems are put in place. You know, if I needed to write something down, I'd write it down. Now, had those not, systems not been put in place, I could quite easily have gone back there. But I could quite easily have gone for a drug as well or something else. Um, so I think when we're aware of ourselves and we're aware of what our needs are um, and the confidence to succeed book, there's a, there's a wheel in that that I use um, as an example. And when you, when you can see where your needs are at and you, you, know, you do that graphing, I do it every two months. Um, because again, you know, I'm not perfect. None of us are. Life happens. We don't know how we're going to react to those events. But if we're on track and if we check in with ourselves fairly often, um, we should we should stay on track, but that means being real. It means being honest with ourselves. It means not having to have it together all of the time, um, and it may need you know. And this is why when people you know think it's funny when I <laughs> when I say certain things, I guess because um, I just say things as they are, and I guess people don't expect me to because you know what I'm doing, and and people see you know she's a six time best selling author, and you know that I even spoke to somebody there about six months ago. Um, and there was a girl and she said to me, you know, she needed to talk herself into talking to me uh, three times before she actually spoke to me. And I was like, well, what was that all about? You know, it's, you know, when she got to speak to me and I know her quite well now. And it's like, oh, what was it? That, that couldn't, you know, it was like, oh, God, why did I even think that? Because there's, she knows she doesn't, there's no pretense, you know, she doesn't have to uh, reach a certain, I don't know what, what it is. It's like the same with celebrities as people, if, if someone sees a, a celebrity it's almost like they act a different way, almost like that celebrity is somehow better than them. 
which isn't the case. They're still a human being. They still get up with their bird's nest on top of their hair in the morning. You know, they get up, they have to brush their teeth, <laughs> they have to do all those things. Um, and I think, again, if, if people remember that, you can have any conversation with anyone that you want and feel totally worthy of it. And that's now, that's why I do. I have no issue. You know, people say, God, you know, how do you talk to them? Or how? It's because they're my friends. Why would I not? You know, why would I, you know, they don't, we don't have that kind of thing going on. So, um, and I think I love if people would adopt more of a, a kind of a, a flexible attitude, um, a softer attitude where they don't, don't have a conversation that they have with people either virtually or, or in person. Um, they'd be a lot happier. They'd be able to achieve a lot more. And the way people will walk into their lives, mm. as has happened to me. Just out of curiosity then, I mean, why, what's your perception of why people do stand in their own way? You know, as you say, just ask the question, just do this. But why do people not? Um, sometimes if you look at success, whatever that means to whoever that's listening to here, people say people are afraid of failure. Uh, true, but people are also afraid of success. So if I ever, if somebody says, you know, I want this, I know exactly how to get it, but I don't know, uh, can I do it on an emotional level? Well, the reality is when we take a step forward or take a step backwards, we're doing that based on how we feel inside on emotion. It's not just logic. We all know everything logical to do. It's just strategy. It's just it's the implementation yeah. of it's a different story. There's always that emotional kind of chatterbox there, the emotional... Um, the emotional, I suppose, pull. Um, and it's that, that's mm. the key. It's, you know, what's that all about? And when we break it down, we look at the consequence of, so, you know, a good question for people to ask is if they want to achieve something, well, if I do that, what does that mean for me? What are the positives and what are the negatives? And if you're not okay. doing it, you can be guaranteed that you're not quite comfortable with one of those meanings with something that that brings. So for example, if I even look at, I mean, I can give you a couple of examples, um, throwing it right back to when I was younger, was it logical for me to be healthy and well? Of course it was. My life would be better. I'd be happier. I could have friends, fabulous, all the wonderful things. Yet why wasn't I doing it? Because the consequence was losing control in my mind. I felt that I wouldn't have control over my body, which was taken away from me. So I weighed it up in my mind, not knowing obviously until hindsight, but at the time I weighed it up in my mind. So which was the lesser painful? So the lesser of the two was to give up all being well, my friends, my family. That was easier um, than letting go of control of my body. So I kept control of my body. So that's why if we look at behaviors of why do people, another example, why do people stay in relationships that, that don't work? Um, a relationship, an abusive relationship, for example, male or female. Um, what is the consequence of them leaving it? They, they don't leave it because the consequence may be more unknown. It may be more uncertain. It may be more painful. Um, there may be a lot of, uh, you know, if, if they have kids, there might be a lot of uh, emotion there. So they weigh it up, which is the worst of the two. And yes, to the outside, being hit, for example, may seem like, you know, an awful thing and it is an awful thing. So why wouldn't you logically, it would make sense, get out there, you know, just get out and get, you know, get something better. But they don't because, and obviously a certain segment don't, because maybe leaving that person means they'll be on their own. They may not be able to financially support themselves. They may have kids that they don't know, will the kids live with them or will they have to live with the other partner? Um, there's all that unknown and the person will weigh that up. 
possibly not consciously, but they'll definitely do it at an emotional level somewhere. Um, and then depending on whether, you know, you get then someone may offer, they say, look, you can come and you can live with me for a while. All of a sudden it makes that decision easier. So you can base that on any decision you ever have in your life, any goal that you ever want to achieve. If you're not doing it, there's something about the consequence, even though achieving it may appear wonderful. There's something about that consequence that you don't like. And then it's about becoming comfortable with that consequence or bringing in something that deals with it. Okay. And just out of curiosity, for anyone who's listening and, and myself, I'm curious as well, would your emotional level be your default? Is that the lowest level? You know, that's, that's the, 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 the base state, if you like. Well, it's our fight or flight. So basically you run away from something, you're standing, you deal with it. Now, um, you know, that goes, I'm not saying we came from, from animals, but, uh, you know, even back to, to basic uh, principle of, of, you know, you go and you clap your hands even to a cat, it runs. It doesn't go, well, will I w- wait here and find out if this person dangerous or not? It just runs. And then after the fact, it may come back after it's analyzed the situation. It's the same with us. If we have certain things that are triggers, unmet needs are triggered, by the way, um, are triggers, should I say. Um, and if we, ha- if we have something that causes us to feel threatened, we will either deal with it if we feel it can do it quickly or we'll go away, possibly stay away or we'll go away, have a think about it and then come back. So that's why when someone is in a heightened state of emotion, for example, there may be, think about an argument. Two people could like each other. Something happens. Their values are in conflict. They're whatever. Something happens that they don't like. The emotions fly. And it goes back to being like two apes having an argument. They say things that they probably wouldn't say if they were in their right mind, of, you know, if they weren't emotionally hijacked. And they do things that they normally wouldn't. And it's only later, once they, they part and the logic comes back in, chemically it actually happens. And um, once that comes back in, that reason uh, can be seen. And then maybe you know, they can make up or they can resolve it or find a solution or whatever. But when people are emotionally hijacked, is what I call it, um, you can't see reason. You just act like an animal. You literally just, you're impulsive. Um, and the bigger the threat, the quicker, the more impulsive you'll be. Um, and, it, you know, it, it goes back to basics, I think. And I think we're, we're feeling uh, humans. I don't think we're thinking humans. If we were thinking humans at a, at a core level, I mean, there's a school of thought, you know, that where you, uh, we have a thought and then we have a feeling and then we have a behavior. It's a very common school of thought, but I don't believe it. I believe we actually have a feeling first based on our environment and that triggers a thought. And then we decide whether we, we play around with that thought and then we do the behavior. Um, and we analyze it. We can't analyze when we're, reading, when we're in chaos. We can't reason or have rational when we're in chaos. Um, so I think if we were thinking beings, we'd probably analyze first and then we'd feel. And I think that's useful to know. And the reason it's useful to know is because if we want to create change, there is no point you trying to convince yourself through thought because you will either mm. take twice as long until you eventually convince yourself or won't work at all. So the easiest way to create change is to create it in a moment of heightened feeling. So if you, for example, this is why hypnosis works, you're in a heightened state of relaxation. You can also create change in an instant in a heightened state of fear, a heightened state of anger, and pick the emotion. If the state is heightened, you can create change easy. It just depends on you. And this is, this is why I always focus as well. I look at, you know, why do people want to, what is their 
what's their driver? Mm. You know, if I want to get someone to achieve a goal, I'm going to look at their why. I'm going to look at their engine. What stirs them up emotionally? And something, if something stirs you emotionally, you're going to get behind it and do it. You know, if you know you have a holiday coming up, you're going to get in shape because you're going to be on the beach. Now, if the holiday wasn't coming up, you could probably wouldn't care. You'd be sitting on the couch watching maybe and eating whatever you want. Um, but if there's an emotional drive, mm. thinking, thinking is different. Um, so you should always get some, some fuel behind your goals, some why, a purpose. Um, if somebody wants to give up smoking, for example, and they just, you know, they do, maybe they do it more when they're in social situations, they go out for a break. It's like that they're having a connection with someone having a chat. There's all the kind of associations with it. Um, yet if they're told that they, are, they have cancer, their, their why, their energy, their drive to stop smoking will be higher for most people. Mm because it gives such a level of fear and they, they have a new behavior within that fear. Mm. So to create changes is so easy sometimes if you do in a heightened, heightened state of awareness, um, which I always do with anyone I ever work with. I put them into a heightened state of awareness one way or another, whatever it is. <laughs> I make them so angry that they just want to, what are you joking? <laughs> well, it depends. I've used that strategy once or twice, but <laughs> sometimes, you know, you, you do what it takes, but it's, it's about creating change quickly and then having it, having it maintained. Mm. Just out of curiosity, because I don't want to make any assumptions, I mean, would you say, obviously, the, the, you know, the rape that happened and your anorexia connected? Oh, 100%. Okay. 100%. Um, when you, again, it goes back to your needs. If your needs are thrown out mm. um, off balance, you will either, I liken it to a pendulum, you, you will either, your need should be somewhere in the middle and you're fine. Mm. If it's thrown one way, you'll kind of bring it back. If it's really thrown in one way, you'll have a bigger reaction. Mm. Um, so for me, in hindsight, um, at the time, obviously, I didn't know this. I was just in so much in the feeling. I wasn't thinking of my reason. Uh, in hindsight, somebody took control of my body. I wanted it back. Okay. Um, now, that said, I'm not saying that everyone who happened to them at all. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But in my case, and um, that's what it was about. It was about wanting to get my control back, wanting to feel that. Um, and even when I was bullied, again, that was a sense of control taken away from me. So I wanted, I wanted to feel like I was powerful again. Mm. I wanted to feel like I was my own person again, that I wasn't somehow, uh, there was a part of me go- gone. Um, and to have my own thing, if you like, to see the numbers going down on the scales was almost like, yeah, Donna, you're doing it. You're, you're in control here. You're mm. in control. Um, you know, I used to weigh myself. You know, obviously, I was at school. I used to weigh myself with my school shirt on and without. That's how, how refined and controlled it was. Mm. Um, you know, I used to get so angry. Um, once I, you know, once I, the first time I started to eat, you know, I was told, okay, well, you, you have to have carrots and, you know, whatever meal you have to have and you have to have your potatoes and you have to have whatever you're having. Um, and I remember once I, I counted the carrots and I wouldn't allow myself to have more than five pieces that were cut at a certain level because I knew that might be an extra calorie. I mean, that's, that is emotionally hijacked at its worst. Um, and I couldn't get out of that mm-hmm. um, until, to be honest with you, the feeling for me, and I think the, the, the crunch day for me, and I remember the day um, was when I came out of that coma because it scared the living daylights out of me because I, I was, I could feel myself in my bed. Um, I knew I was, I was awake. My eyes were closed. I couldn't open them. Um, and I, my body felt like just lead. And that scared me more because that was a real feeling of being out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like it. And then 
when the, it was, I guess, the, the whole thing, um, you know, my, my father, uh, I remember it was probably in the same week I was um, standing at, a, at the sink and I was getting a glass of water and my baby finger was sticking out and he grabbed my baby finger and he said, look at that, it's like a skeleton. And for him to say that was a big deal. Um, you know, I, when, I, when I stood up, I fell back down because I just had no energy. And to see the pain that was causing people stirred me emotionally. And I guess when I had a, when I had an emotional jolt, it was enough is enough. I've got it. I've got to make changes, whether I like them or not. Mm. Um, and I think when you, when you are trying to make change with people fast, when it, when you're, when you have to think quick, when you have to, and this is what I had to do because I guess, you know, I was dealing with, with people who are even eggshells. There were people who, you know, you'd have somebody who maybe tried to, shoot themselves the night before or maybe the week before they try to hang themselves and you know you're in a state of you you don't have time to be convincing people of things you don't have time to be clamossing somebody this is has to we have to get something that works fast that we can maintain we can work on over time so it actually lasts Mm. um so the only way that i found in my life that it's worked and with thousands of people that i worked with is to create enough emotion that that person is is bunched into it. They're just, they're excelled that they can't not do it. It's either, it's either sink or swim. Mm. And when you find an emotion strong enough, anyone can change. Um, you know, and I've, I've had my methods <laughs> and I do what it takes, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you just have to, you have to create enough emotion and, um, I get results for a reason because I suppose I'm prepared to go out on a limb. I'm prepared to do, what it takes, whereas other people may be so stuck in policies and procedures that they don't go outside that box. And if I have a client or I have a person in front of me when I'm on stage, it's my obligation to take them. They've, they've come there for a reason. You know, they've, they've invested themselves, whether that be, you know, monetary or whether it be time or whether it be, you know, their whole, the whole self sometimes. Um, and it's my job to make sure that, that I give them what they're there for. Sometimes they don't know what they're there for, but I know that there's something better in them. That I need to, to ignite that spark. I need to get that back. And you can see that in people's eyes. When, when, you, when you stir them so emotionally, it's like, it's like there's a, a, an awakening in somebody's eyes. It's like they, they just turn on. Mm. Um, and I've, I've worked with people, and to be honest with you, originally um, psychiatric cases were not my, were not my go-to. Um, but I'm very thankful mm. that I dealt with a lot of people who had psychiatric issues. And basically the way it came about was um, I was more dealing with uh, softer cases, if you like, the, the regular cases, you know, your self-esteem, fear, disorders, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I just happened to have somebody who just came to me and they happened to have been on medication for 25 years. Um, they were in a bad way. Nothing was working. Um, and I helped them. And it's not my job to take people off medication. So I actually asked them to consult with their psychiatrist and their doctor. And their doctor couldn't believe that this person was the way they were. Um, and that doctor was the go-to doctor in Ireland. And he, I was his go-to person after that. He'd literally feed me clients all day long. Um, and doctors around the country started to do the same. That's why I was so busy. Mm. But that said, that allowed me and gave me the skill to think on my feet. It allowed me not to get lazy 
when it comes to clients. It allows me not to be complacent, um, which I think is, is a very easy thing to fall into once you're qualified or even if you're not qualified, it, it doesn't matter. Once you're in a helping role, it's very easy to fall into complacency. Um, and then when you're handed something that is make or break, a lot of people can't deal with it, so they run. But I feel confident to deal with it. I might not like it, but I feel confident to deal with it because I have dealt with those eggshells. I've dealt with um, people who are in totally emotional hijack mode. They're not thinking straight. Mm. They're in a bubble of self. Um, and it's up to me to just like pop. I need to break it and I need to be there to hold them when they get out of it. Um, and, you know, that can happen even with people who I, I've, you know, celebrities, CEOs of massive companies. Nothing makes us any different at a human level. And we all have different roles, but at a basic level, we're all just emotional human beings and any one of us could fall at any one time. So we need to be there to pick each other up. Mm. Would you class yourself as intuitive? Yeah. Um, I get it wrong sometimes. Occasionally I've got it wrong, but mostly I, mostly I, I feel people like, I don't mean that in a hippie sense now or you know, anything like that, but when I meet somebody and that's why I guess, um, look, I could bring on, I could put a, a post up on social media and say, look, I'm doing this. And a billion and one, well, not a billion and one, but a lot of people um, would send me messages and want to be part of it. And the reason I don't is because I, I'm not in a position to meet every one of those people. So I can't, I can't get a, a physical sense for what they're like. I can't get a, a feeling for what they're like. I'm just going on surface stuff. Okay. So if my gut tells me not, you know, this isn't right. I tend to go with it. But I also check in with logic too. Um, yeah. You know, I always say, you know, work from your heart, but take your head with you. <laughs> you know, you have to do that too. Um, and occasionally I've got it wrong, but very rarely. Mm. Yeah. And you learn from your mistakes. Because you, you, you come across as quite kinesthetic. And that's sort of what I'm getting. You know, there seems to be, you know, very on the very feeling side. Um, yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think I'm kinesthetic and I'm also visual. I, I, I see things a lot. So that's probably why I talk fast. Mm. My, my words don't keep up with my pictures. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I guess I, I think I'm working with so many people mm. and when you feel their energy, you can't not, I, I do have techniques. Actually, I learned some fantastic techniques from a, um, a very well-known martial artist and he taught me a lot of techniques for protecting myself. Uh, but sometimes, like if I go into an, an event, for example, I will straight away do a, a technique um, before I, I speak to anybody, before I go in. Um, and that is almost, it's a, it's a physical technique that I do uh, so that I don't let my guard down because and when I say that, I don't become hijacked by somebody else because sometimes you have people who want to moan and complain and give out about people or whatever, and that's not good for me. So I have that, that distance there that I can hear them but I don't have to allow it to to affect me so yes I am kinesthetic um, and probably I, I do think that has a lot to do with uh, working with other people and refining how I manage other people um, and the space that they're in mm. because if you're working with, as the same with you if you're working with a lot of people you know if, if people are talking negative you, you're a human being you, you cannot but you're not going to get massively excited when people are talking about being totally depressed um, so it, it affects everybody. So unless you have techniques put in place, um, you know, you are going to be affected. So this is why, again, it's so important that we be around the right people um, so that we keep that energy high. 
And just out of curiosity, do you have a, I mean, do you, do you decompress? Because obviously the, the, some of the topics and issues you're dealing with are the most serious you can get in life, really, you know, and do you have a decompression process or how do you deal with it? Or Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> um, I imagine sometimes, you know, when, I say, you know, when I say this, I'm dealing with a lot of go-getters in the majority of the time. Um, more so now than I am with psychiatric cases. I generally don't deal with psychiatric cases at all now because I don't have that uh, support network um, that I'm that I'm in close, and I, I don't feel I don't feel it would be responsible for me to take on a role where people are on medication and I have to manage that process. And um, so instead, I, I do deal with a lot of people who maybe wouldn't be psychiatric, but they'd certainly be in need of help. They want you know maybe go getters, as I said as well. Um, but. If there's something that that bothers me, or if there's something that I that you know that would yeah, I think bothers me, um, I actually imagine at nighttime um, I imagine that there's like a, a little hole in my head and like a, ho- a Hoover sucks it out. <laughs> it just I leave it there like on a very soft little buzz. <laughs> just uh, it works it's, it works away while I'm asleep, um, and I'm visual, I guess. So that's I suppose as I'm kinesthetic too. So I can it's a visual thing I do. Um, you know, when I used to work in places in, in, you know, even with my office, uh, when I closed the door, I'd hear that sound. When the door closed, that was it. No matter how much I wanted to think about it, um, the door was closed. So, no, that was, that was my, my cutoff point. Um, and I guess, you know, you do have to have those. Everyone is human. And if somebody tells you something that's, that has a lot of feeling in it, Thankfully, I'm very strong. I'm, I'm very capable of holding a lot. Because of my experience, things don't, it takes a lot to phase me. Um, and it takes a lot, a lot to, to jolt me when it comes to negativity. Uh, but if something bothers me, if something is, you know, if somebody is nasty, that's, I don't like that. If somebody is, is nasty to either me or to somebody else. So I just let it go. I just let the, the hoover work its way. And I do it at night time. And it works for me. It's very energy efficient too. <laughs> That's it, yes, it is. They check my electricity bill after. <laughs> we know if it's higher, we know yeah. what kind of week I've had. <laughs> but it's interesting as well because you, you, you talked about almost, um, you know, I can't remember the exact words you used, but almost when you're on stage, you're almost into, you know, you're thinking on your feet, I think it was the word you used. Is that something you, you tend to do? Yeah, um, when you go in... For example, if I'm using a slideshow and I use slideshows not for following reasons, it's more for as in like, I, you know, I could do a talk without slideshows. Um, the reason I do with slides is because there's graphics and sometimes people need that and it, it helps people understand easier than trying to figure everything out. Mm. Um, but you'll never know an audience may change. You know, you might go into a business audience, for example, and they may be very stiff and very, you know, kind of formal and um and you know you always get someone who wants to ask a question and and you'll always get someone then who wants to ask a question just to be awkward uh, there's no relevance really but they just want to ask it um then so you need to be on the ball and watch the audience and watch what they're doing and make sure that you know that you're there with them um, and that you do need to think on your feet for that and again if i'm having conversations with people the same thing it could just take a totally different slant and you have to be you have to be awake for that mm-hmm. So I suppose almost that, again, that reading the room and the energy as well is something you would be sort of, is something you've trained to do or something you've just done naturally, do you think? Um, I, I haven't, I haven't, yeah, I, I haven't trained formally to do it as such. 
I think it's because I intentionally went out to seek out people who were of a high level of energy mm. that I noticed people who weren't. And I've dealt with different ranges. And I guess I, you can, it's very obvious when you deal with one extreme to the other. And then you have a lot of people who kind of fall somewhere in the middle. Um, and people who fall somewhere in the middle, there's not really much effort as such it's you know you're dealing with kind of people who will just go with the flow and everything's fine um it's the it's the other extreme you know the extreme of when people are in a very bad space uh you need to handle that more and when people are in a very um fantastic space they're not going to be everyone's cup of tea so you know there's you'd have to manage that there's a lot of man- and that but there again that's you know if you meet someone in a, in a coffee shop it's the same thing you, you have to any conversation that you have it's going to be a different personality um you know, when it when you're in a room, you just have lots of different personalities. Um, I go into a room and I think of just one per. I think of like one person, one person, one person. I don't think of them as a blob. Um, and when I can raise energy amongst each individual, then there's huge high energy. Now, a lot of people say about our events, there's a great energy in the room. It's because we're patting myself. We focus on helping each person to be the best that they can be. And if one person is feeling good, and we're helping another person feel good, they bounce off each other. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, why would we feel bad here? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, why would we... Um, uh, one thing that, that somebody... was a very recent conversation that somebody said, um, and they said, why would someone want to be happy all the time? And I was like, well, <laughs> why would you want to be miserable? <laughs> so, um, and I guess there is a thing in society that if people have high energy or if they're happy, the majority of the time, it's almost like there's something wrong with them. It's like, well, what are you on? Or I'll have some of that whichever you're on. And it's almost odd. Um, and as a society, we kind of see it as odd. But when you spend half of your life in misery, you make sure you don't spend the second half of it in misery. You make sure you spend every moment and make sure it counts. So I guess now I focus on being happy. Am I happy 100% of the time? No, and nobody is. But I'm happy the majority of the time. And I think if you're focused on being happy the majority of the time, your life is pretty good. I focus on, you know, each moment, like each moment that you breathe, it's a reminder that you're a miracle. That's the way I look at it. And if you're ever stressed about something, all you have to do, and you take a minute at a time and you say, in this moment, how do I make this particular moment as good as I can make it? And then once you've done that, you say, right, how do I make this moment? And you do that five times. And once you're so conscious of doing that, after a while you become naturally conscious, if you like, it just happens. Um, but sometimes you need to check in with yourself. So I would say to everybody, um, you have to check in with yourself often. You know, and don't, don't become complacent about yourself or lazy about yourself. When you talk about the checking in process, what does that look like? You know, what's... Um, well, there's, there's a few things. Um, I do it formally, first of all. I do it with a graph. Um, I use a wheel and I, I, it's a specific type of wheel. It's not like just a wheel of life mm. thing. It's, it's a specific type. Um, where I graph it and I monitor it. That's one thing I, I do for myself every two months, as I said. Um, the other thing then is, if you're feeling upset, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling low, if you're feeling an emotion that you don't like, check in with yourself. If you're doing a behavior that you don't like, check in with yourself. So for example, if I found myself, which is, never really happens to be fair, but you know, occasionally, if I found myself thinking badly about somebody, um, I need to check in with myself because it doesn't feel right to me. It's not aligned with who I am. 
So what has that person done? What, have, what do they represent uh, that has annoyed me? Um, maybe I need to deal with that. Um, or check it. Has my value been, you know, if you find yourself arguing, for example, with somebody about the same things all of the time, it's probably because they're in conflict with one of your values. And if you can explain to them what your value is and why it's important to you, it may not be important to them, but why it's important to you, it's received better. Um, Things like that, where if there's any way at all that I'm ever thrown off balance, and that just means whether I feel emotionally stirred, um, I check in with myself. And sometimes that can be just a simple conversation. It can be a little note, you know, what do I not like about that? What does that mean? Why am I afraid of that? Or, you know, what is the consequence of that? Um, Checking in that way. And do I do it all the time perfectly? Absolutely not but I try and do my best and do it as often as I can when I need to do it. Mm. And the times when I do it consistently are the times when I'm happiest. I'm happy most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we just- That's good. So can I ask, I mean, do you have certain daily or weekly rituals that you go through? Obviously, you know, you're saying you're checking in and that seems to be more of a, you know, sort of an eight week, two monthly type thing. But from a daily point of view, what would you typically do? Well, I'm not going to tell you that I got up at five o'clock in the morning uh, like nobody does. Um, and I run around and, you know, I have three hour gym session. <laughs> then I go to work. and I have my green juice drink. <laughs> Everything is fabulous for the day. So I get up at a regular time. And that is when my son wakes me um, at 7.30 every morning without fail. He'll come in, he'll jump on top of me um, for his morning hug. And then I have my diary set out for the following day as to what I need to do. Um, and I follow that diary for the week, whatever it is. Um, I try and maximize my time. So um, I, if I'm having a call and as a compliment to you, I don't just give calls to anybody. I get, I, and that's not, a, again, it's not a snobbery thing. It's, you know, if it's a value of my time, it's a value of your time. Um, and there's a purpose. So I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm careful with my time and where I put it. At the moment, my life is slightly different in that two hours of my day are taking up with them. Um, homeschooling which is not something I ever thought I would be doing solar system um, but that has to be done <laughs> that's it yeah that has to be done um you know and I try and make to make it practical so it's kind of interesting for me too there's a selfish, selfish slide with but yeah he does find it interesting um and then I, I just make sure that I maximize my time whereas before uh, again it was a Ashton Pat and I planned Ashton because I've epilepsy you know and I do have to take medication for that um he was planned so I knew I was pregnant in three weeks um, and when we spoke about it, I mean, I'm very driven, um, path very driven. We both have goals. I had no intention of giving up my goals, but I also was under no illusion that, you know, a child takes, you know, takes looking after. And if you want to bring up your child with your values then you have to be there with them. And um, that was my particular, what, what worked for me. Um, so I chose that, okay, well, when Ashton is at school, that's my cutoff point. That's when I need to spend time. Yes, there are exceptions, of course, if we're doing an event, um, you know, my family will step in or, or I have a lady who steps in as well. Um, or if we're doing something like an evening call, you know, everyone works together on that. Um, but for the most important stuff I do between when I drop him off from school for half eight, he fin- he start, or finish, starts at half eight mm-hmm. um, and he finishes at two. So I know I have to get my work within that time done, no matter what. And it actually focuses me a lot better because I just decide what I need to do for the week. I have to get it done within that time. So, you know, it's like if I said to you, you've got Friday off if you do all your work between Monday and Thursday, you get it done. Yeah. Um, you know, you wouldn't have the, the lazy hours. Um, and we all have lazy hours, don't get me wrong. But 
uh, when you make better use of your time, you're not just giving it away to anybody for any reason and then you get tired. You're, you're doing stuff that matters with people who matter mm. and you're getting results. Um, and that's what I teach, what I teach people as well, is that if you, if you have something that you want to achieve, you got to, you know, have segments of time. Um, you know, if, if I'm even, even with books, I mean, I did a collaboration um, the last time and, you know, I'm not going to tell people to go off and just waste your time and driv- write driven for five hours and come back and yay, yay, you know, we get rubbish. It'll be, here's your segment of time. You do it quality in that segment of time and then you go and you do whatever else you have to do. And that's the way I do everything. It's like if you have a task or a goal that you want to achieve, assign a certain time to it and then say, what do I want to do for the rest of the time? So for me, my choice is I want to spend a lot of time with Ashton and my family. Um, the reason I do is because, you know, I, I grew up in a big family. Mm. Family is very important to me. Um, and I like to spend that time. I'm lucky I'm blessed enough that I can arrange my work in a flexible way. Not everyone has that opportunity at the moment. Um, for example, a lot of people over the last few years, you know, you have two parents working or one parent, maybe a single parent, they're working and it's not so easy just to, you know, spend that time with your child that they may like. I ha- I'm fortunate enough that I've arranged my work that I can. Um, but my time after, you know, two o'clock is, unless it's something that I, I really need to do, uh, it's, it's for Ashton and it's for my family and, and doing whatever we want to do, which may seem like I'm taking half the day off but I'm working twice as hard in the first part. <laughs> um, you know, and you get it done. No, that makes sense. Just out of curiosity, you know, so you're saying you have uh, seven, seven brothers and sisters? There's seven of us in total, so oh, seven. I, I've, I'm seven, yeah. Oh, you, so you are the baby, are you? No, I'm not. Um, we had the mum and dad had four, and then they had a gap, and then they had three, and I was the elder of the, the second half. Um, <laughs> but I always say to my older sister, I said, they had you. I said, and that was it. They just said, we're never having another child again if you so much trouble. And I said, then they had a gap, and then they decided, well, maybe we'll try to test the waters. Then they had me, and they thought, oh, she's amazing. Now we'll have another two. <laughs> I always say that to my sister um, but yeah we, we have a, a big family mm. How do you, and I mean have you, are you all on similar professions or just all different totally different uh, totally different um, one of my brothers uh, he does gardening uh, I, you know he just should have been born in mud I'm sure he was <laughs> he used to you know he picks worms up if it's all the two of us together we we he has so much hair in his face. I'm sure if you, if you took it away, you'd probably see me in there somewhere. <laughs> but for, for the, you know, he's just totally into outdoors. He now prunes bonsai trees. Um, very grounded. Very, he, he could tell you, if you heard bird song, he could tell you what bird it is. He could tell you any leaves of the trees. He's, he's a genius when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, my other sisters then, two of my other sisters uh, work at home. Um, they're home moms. Um, one of my sisters is managing a... a very excited to uh, come out of that. Um, she runs a B&B now. Um, one of my sisters is a special needs assistant and my other one, my brother, is a primary school teacher. Wow, well, okay. Uh, so totally different. Mm. So And totally different personalities. Makes sense. I mean, at the time, like going back, I mean, had you any inclination what you wanted to do when you sort of grew up? I mean... Um, no, I... <laughs> I'm sure I had many things I wanted to do. I had a pet snail at one point, so a snail farmer could have been in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I'm sure there are many, uh, you know, I mean, you naturally go through, you kind of, you want to be the doctor and you want to be the this, that and the other. Um, I suppose that's all through role play and stuff. Um, but when I, 
started to overcome challenges, I think it was just a natural thing for me. I never want anyone to go through or feel how I did. Sure. So it's almost like a natural thing that I, it, it upsets me if I know others are upset. So I do everything that I can. So in order to do that, I guess my just, I was in school, I then went to college. Um, my natural avenue was psychology. Um, you know, and psychology teaches you very little by way of practical uh, things. My life has taught me more practical things that I think I have a unique understanding of people that maybe other people haven't in a way because obviously people go through different things. Um, the one thing I did enjoy about the psychology and have found hugely useful is to learn about the biology of the brain, um, to learn about things like uh, autism, to learn about you know different ways people behave, um, even forensics. Um, you know, learning if somebody's lying, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, you know, everyone. I'm conscious. You know, I'm I conscious that, now. People say, oh, "What way am I looking now?" <laughs> um, you know, th- things that kind of like that. But from a helping point of view, from it, and this is where again it comes back to: Do you really want to help someone, or are you doing it for ego? Like my my things, I, I just I just want to help somebody get to where they want to get to. I do whatever it takes. I've learned so many different things. And I've done so many different courses and I've learned from so many different people that I have a very uh, plentiful toolbox. So whoever I meet, I can take out one and I know what to use. Um, and maybe I might need to take out 30 in some cases, but I, I, know, I know how to use them. <laughs> and it usually works out. Um, so I think, you know, my experience of, of everything has maybe led me to to have the career that I want. And it actually, funnily enough, I never saw myself being a speaker. Um, in 2004, uh, I had a, a notebook and I was writing down my goals. And for whatever reason, I actually drew a girl on a stage with loads of an audience. And I, I didn't know why I did it. I just, I found myself drawing. I love drawing. Uh-huh. And I just, I just drew it. And I just said, oh, whatever that was about. And I just left it at that. And actually I became a speaker by default because um, I was hosting events. I was doing running events and I was the MC. And for each of our events, and one of uh, the speakers over, and even Pat was saying, "You know, why don't you do a talk?" And I was like, "Well, what would I speak about?" And not realizing, kind of, I'll actually have quite a lot of information here, so, um, and the people could benefit from. So I said, "No, no, and I'll MC another one, and I MC'd another one." That's the way it went. And then one of our speakers, his flight uh, was cancelled, and you can't leave a stage empty. It was a multi-speaker event, so we said, "Okay, what are we going to do?" And there were 90 minute slots. So you can't kind of have somebody going up and doing, you know, three and a half hours and then coming back. And uh, so I said, just give me a flip chart. I'll do something. Um, so I went up with a flip chart and I just did about what I felt was, was right for that audience. And, you know, it went great. And then people started asking me this week at different events. Um, and that's just, it's so kind of snowballs um, from there. But it was, it was very much, I, I didn't set out to say, I want to be a speaker. I'm going to go and I'm going to learn at some kind of speaker school or I'm going to learn how to be polished or I'm going to learn, you know, the techniques. Um, I didn't need that. It was just to have a conversation with people on stage. And one of the things that a lot of people say about my talks is they're very real and authentic. And yeah. I like that. And I like the fact that I'm not polished. And I like the fact that I don't use, you know, techniques as such on stage yes I teach people techniques but that's for their own mind and for themselves to do you know for the betterment of their own lives but I don't do techniques um, and I don't feel the need to because then it becomes too much about me and a performance it doesn't become about having a conversation Mm. and as a speaker 
you should be having a conversation. That's what people have paid for. That's why people are there, whether that be monetary or time. So you, you thought about it, or for some reason you thought about it in 2004. So when was your event? 2009. So five years. And I did, yeah. And I just was doing my practice. I was quite happy doing my practice. <laughs> and then I got very busy doing my practice. Um, and I was taking on in somebody else because I was just too busy. Mm. And it's very difficult to say no to people when they're ringing you up and they need help. Um, so I just, I physically, literally could not take on any more workload. Um, so I just decided to take somebody else on. And then uh, I met Pat and Pat had, had three kids uh, before we met. And it made sense for me to move, not for him to move. So I moved to a different county and I closed my practice. <laughs> so, um, and I, I, you know, it's funny because people were still contacting me. Um, so I was working without having a formal, if you like, a formal setup. Mm. And then I just started to work with groups. Um, and it kind of just, it kind of just happened, if that makes sense. It's just, you know, one person, I'd acknowledge somebody in my book, um, one of my books, I decided I wanted to write a book. So one of, one of the, I acknowledge one person in my book actually was Mark Victor Hansen. And then I, uh, I got Mark to speak at an event. Um, again, I had no agenda. It was just, will you come over? This is what we're doing. Um, he knew I didn't have an agenda at the time. I guess he had, he had known a bit about me from different people who have, who have told him about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, it's this collective kind of thing that goes on. Um, so I suppose I've been, I've kind of been, I won't, I've been kind of gently coerced into it, <laughs> you know, and I actually, I'm, I'm quite happy. I love it. I love doing what I do. And I love, I love speaking to audiences, whether that be um, on stage or whether it be virtually um, or one-to-one. I just, I love, I love uh, helping people. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, just in terms then of, you know, getting you into a, a flow state or creative state, you know, what's, do you have a process for that or, you know, how do you tend to... Um, when you think for for writing or well, for whatever. I mean, conversations or yeah. events or so. I mean, you, you talked obviously about you know going on stage, but I mean, well, where where would we find you at your your peak states? You know, your your natural where you sort of almost gone. God, Donna was born to be on stage, or Donna was born to write books, or whatever. So, it's a two part question: where is your where is your peak, and then what's your method of getting to state? Uh, lots of people, um, you know, say I've been born to be on stage and the whole lot, but to me, I haven't reached my peak. Oh, I've, I have lots to do yet. <laughs> um, I'm on a mission here, Pete. <laughs> so I have lots to do. Um, when I'm doing talks of any kind or when I'm doing any project, doesn't matter what it is, there's lots of different things that I do. Um, whether it be, you know, personal or business, I always think about the person I'm delivering it to mm. and I ask, what did they need right now? Um, for, for example, um, I'll be doing a webinar this evening and I'll be talking about fear because right now a lot of people are, are in fear um, and they don't know what to do with it. So I just think about what is it? I mean, I have so much knowledge in my brain and I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I mean that because I've collected it along the way. So I know that no matter what audience I have, I know I can give them something that they can use. So it's really is a matter of me just finding out what, who are the audience uh, what is it that they're lacking? What is the gap? Mm, mm. And I need to fill that gap. And how do I best deliver? And it goes back to, you know, the message, what message do I feel that these people would benefit most from? How can I deliver it in the most simplistic way mm. that they'll actually get the message? And then how do I show them how to implement what I've told them? Um, and that's, I suppose, even asking questions 
is a is a flow thing for me. Um, it allows me to get creative. You know, what do these people need? How can I do that? It's it's just that would be the way I w- I would unpack it. Mm. If you like. So I mean, that does that get into then your, the visual side? You're saying visually you're quite strong, and do you almost paint the picture in your head? Is that? I actually, you know, I when it comes to events, I think of one person been in the audience. And I picture them and that can be male or female. It doesn't have to be a particular person. I can just picture them in my mind. Um, and I say, right, what do I need to give this person right now? What conversation do they need to have? What do they need to hear? What, you know, shoe up their behind do they need to have if they need one? What pat on the back do they need to have if they need one? Um, and I, I guess I, I do it that way. Mm. Um, I think very much about just that one conversation, that one person, that that energy I need to put behind them to rocket fuel them into what they want. Hmm. I was curious then, so way back you talked about obviously your, your sort of the evolution of personal development. You talked about books, CDs, and then DVDs. Where did it all start or what, what stands out for you in that process? When I came out of the coma and I was sitting on the bed, um, my mom throughout say that even the two years she used to read self-development books to me all the time she was very ahead of her time um she even got me a coloring book i mean 50 can you imagine giving a 15 year old a coloring book <laughs> she gave me a coloring book it was an affirmation book it was quite clever what she did actually um and i had spent so much time on my own so at the end of the day it, you know something to do um and she asked me to color it in and there was a page a day to color it in and there was an affirmation and I had to read the affirmation. And now looking back, she was trying to get me to, to put color into something that was black and white, which is very clever. She was, um, she was always very spiritual. She was, had a great faith and um, she wasn't quite sure where that faith uh, was in that, when I say in a, in a certain religion or, or whatever, she later found out later in her life. But um, at that particular time, and um, when I was ill, she was searching for things. So I guess in that sense, I was like a semi guinea pig as well, because I was brought along with her uh, to these different uh, faculties. You know, I mean, I knew about Reiki at 15 before I even hit Ireland, <laughs> you know, all of these different things. And um, she gone as well. You know, so it's, it's a slower form of Tai Chi and all these things that she had me doing, um, which are all beneficial in their own way. Mm. Um, but she was reading, she was reading a lot of self-development books to me. So I suppose. I started reading them myself and I started doing what she told me to do and practicing what she told me to practice. I started to do Qigong out in the garden. I'm sure my neighbours thought it was crazy, but I, I did start to do it. Um, she had videos at the time. Uh, there were like different trainings and whatever. Um, so anything at all, she even did like Reiki on me. I mean, she was, when I think about it now, when she was doing this, thing and she's going like this with the webs and it's like oh whatever you do whatever you have to do um so I suppose the second time uh when I was in the hospital when with the epilepsy and everything I thought back to the first time and what helped me recover and one of the things that really helped me was she used to tell me to be grateful for 10 things every day and it's something that she did since I was five um, and the reason I know since I was five was because I started school at five and she'd roar out the window to me as I walked to school, uh, say your 10 things. And um, so I'd always have to, at that time, it was thank God for 10 things. Um, so I was just saying thank you to whoever. And it was thank you for my shoes. Thank you for the tree. Thank you for whatever it was at the time. Um, but it stuck with me. 
Um, so to this day, I still I actually think I even have it. Um, no, I don't have it here. I'd have to get up to get it. Um, but it's a, it's a gratitude diary that I do. It's, a, it's something that I give clients. It's, it's say your 10 things. That's what it's called. Um, and I went back to that and I looked at what was I grateful for. Uh, so when I was in the hospital, I took out a pad and pen and I uh, wrote down what I was grateful for. I didn't feel very grateful at the time because I was quite angry because kind of essentially six months of my life were, you know, bashed around for unnecessarily if the person had done their job. Mm. Um, but I thought, what can I be grateful for? So I just looked around the room and I thought, right, well, there was a heater, even though it was a stuffy one. I thought, right, well, at least I'm not cold, so I should put that down. But I, funnily enough, the first thing I put down was um, lipstick. I had brought a lipstick to psychiatric unit. Like, what was I, <laughs> what was I even thinking? Um, you know, I was, I was keeping, keeping my, my look. <laughs> even in a unit, I didn't drop my standard. Um, but I, you know, I, I just, I wrote out different things I was grateful for. And I did it until I got an actual smile in my heart. Mm. And I, it took me, I think it was 39 things. And it was 63 the first time, one or the other. I can't remember which, but I know because I wrote it down. Mm. Um, but that's a lot of things before you feel grateful. Um, but I found then when I got into that flow after 10, it was like, oh, well, actually I'm grateful. And, and there's that, and there's that, and there's that. And it was only after a while. And I thought, actually, do you know what? I don't have it so bad after all. Mm. Um, you know, there are people out there and I know it's cliche. There's a, people worse off than you or whatever, but there actually are. Um, you know, I'm alive. Uh, I can see you. We're, we're talking. And that's something that some people would just dream to do. Um, you know, there are people fighting for their lives and here are we, you know, and here was I uh, moaning and groaning about mine. So, you know, it was when, when, you, when you get a bit thick with yourself, when you say we cop on, you know, that's, I, so maybe that's actually from a big family. Maybe that's what I got from them. It's like, cop on to yourself. <laughs> you know, we're not listening to you. Just, just get on with it. Um, and I took that approach for myself. I said, right, you can sit here and be miserable and waste the next while, or I can just, you know, do, take what I learned and do it fast. Mm. And I did. And um, I remember looking out the window as well because it was millennium. And I remember looking out and I love fireworks. I've always loved fireworks. Um, and there were, uh, you know, under fireworks displays, it's just oh, it's fantastic, the sparkly thing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just the sparkles. And I remember um, the little, tiny, pathetic little sparkles in the sky that were far away. And I was in Stillorgan. Um, which is about 25 minutes outside Dublin. And they were doing the Millennium Celebrations in Dublin, but you could still see them, but they were just like little pathetic sparkles. And I said, what do I need to do to get out of here? And my motivation was fireworks. <laughs> and really, when I think about it now, my motivation was fireworks. Um, and my methods was grounded in gratitude. Um, and that's, I think I just, I just wanted it. Mm. Um, I didn't want, I didn't want my life to be anymore to be taken over because a lot of it was taken. So I didn't, I thought, no, I'm not having, I actually think now, now that I think about it, I think that's why I'm selective about who I allow to take my energy because a lot of it was taken when it shouldn't have been. Mm. Um, so I'm not about to let any more of my energy been taken by people or circumstances that aren't good for me. Um, so I just focus on, on what keeps my energy high, what keeps me to be a good person, um, and keeps me driving forward and I get it wrong sometimes but the majority of the time if I get it right the majority of the time you know that's good mm. 
Just out of curiosity, because, you know, we're talking about success earlier. I mean, define success for you, because I think, you you know, you're sort of saying what it could be for other people. But I'm just curious what success means to you. Success means waking up in the morning and knowing that you're being the best that you can be in any given moment. That for me is success. Mm. And that can be getting out of bed in the morning and knowing that you are in your best state. Um, for some, it's you know, reaching the, the medal of, you know, if you're an Olympian or for some as a, a baker, it's for, you know, winning the competition or the, the cake or for a business person, it may be for hitting the target of X amount of, of money. Um, it can be for anybody, for anything. I think the, because there are so many, um, so many books, so many programs, uh, so many different things about success. Success has been tagged in Western society to, for the most part, to money and wealth and how well you're doing and how much material goods that you have, um, which is unfortunate. Now, one of my books is called The Confidence to Succeed. And you might think, why did I put succeed in it? Um, and it's to totally unpack the myth of success. Success is not something that you can have ever or chase. Being the best that you can be is, but that's a consistent thing. Um, so, you know, where people say, well, I'm this person or I'm this kind of person or I have this disorder or I have this so I can't do that or whatever. I don't buy into that. And the reason I don't is because that's not you being the best you can be in any given moment. Um, we are moment to moment people. Mm-hmm. And if I can take care of my moment in that moment. Now, when I say, for example, let's say you have somebody who has Down syndrome. Okay. Down syndrome is a thing, right? It's, it's real. The gene 21, right? It's, it's a very real thing. But Years ago, somebody with Down syndrome was put in a cart in Ireland anyway. And even in, in Stevens Green, there's actually an archway that if you ever find out about the history of Dublin. Um, and they used to wheel this lady who had uh, Down syndrome in, in a cart into her house because they didn't want anyone to see her because they were considered up until the 50s, which is not too far uh, away. Mm-hmm. It was quite recent. Uh, to be uh, changelings so that the devil somehow came in and took the real baby and replaced it with ridiculous notion. Okay. So that is a notion that will keep somebody beautiful who has, who happens to have Down syndrome into some kind of ridiculous, horrible place of existence. Whereas I know people with Down syndrome and they're still those beautiful people, Mm. but it's up to us to decide what do we do with the situation that they're in relative to their ability. So that's the difference that I mean. So I don't buy into when somebody says, I can't do that because, you know, I've one leg. Okay, you have one leg and that is horrible. But that doesn't mean to say that you're dying. Hmm. Now let's see what we can do with the rest of you. You have another leg, you have two arms, you know, and that's the way I, that's the way I think. So, but I think sometimes we can allow our conditions to the excuses or we can allow our conditions to keep us a certain place because the fear of what might happen if we do X, Y, or Z. And I had that fear and I used to say, well, I can't do that because I'm anxious. When really anxiety was a feeling and I was generating that feeling consistently. It's a moment to moment chemical reaction. And I was dealing, I was generating that in my mind. I didn't realize I was. But I was generating it because I was thinking, almost like running a move in my head, I was thinking about all the things I did wrong, all the things bad that happened. Not only that, I was predicting things by visual. I was visualizing in the future of all the things that would mess up, no one liked me, blah, blah, blah. 
And my body was responding to those pictures through chemical responses. And I was feeling bad. Mm. When I changed those pictures, when I changed the way I was representing my circumstances, different chemicals were released to my body and it felt better. So it really does depend on how you're representing your situation, how you're representing the things that you have. I could say I am anorexic. That's not useful. I did anorexia behavior. Mm. I did it often. But I am not anorexic. I'm Donna, who happened to be doing anorexia behavior. And if you view things from that point of view, you have your identity. Mm. Um, epilepsy is a huge one. I was asked to give a talk, actually, to, to a national epilepsy group um, because they found my approach to epilepsy quite strange. Not strange, strange in a good way. Um, a lot of the time, and even I, I, I pulled a, uh, and I don't, I don't normally do this, but actually I pulled a, a, somebody up on a, they were an official body, actually, and they had, they had posted a tweet um, about epileptics. And I said, why would you call somebody an epileptic? They're a person who happens to have epilepsy. I don't see myself, and it's not some kind of deluded version of reality. I don't see myself as an epileptic. I'm Donna. I happen to have epilepsy. Now, get on with my life and deal with whatever I have to do. Um, so with epilepsy, I take the medication that I take. Uh, I would take alternatives if I could take alternatives, but to be quite honest, I don't want to go back to where I was. I was having four or five seizures a day. So, you know, you can call that, is that, you know, is that weak on my part? Possibly. But I have my identity as Donna and I do whatever I have to do and whatever I can do based on my current situation mm. to, be, to be the best that I can be, to be as successful as I can be. Mm. So if somebody, that's what I'm saying is that it, sometimes I don't buy into notions where people say, oh, well, I can't do this because or I can't do that because. I don't, I don't buy into it. If you have, you know, a condition, you have poverty, you have, you know, relationship difficulties, confidence issues, whatever it is, the situation is, is you know, you give it whatever label you want. How do you deal with that? How do you perceive it? How do you view it? How can you view it differently so that you get a better, better outcome? And I guess, you know, that comes when I, when I deal with clients, I'm a straight talker. And not everyone, that's what I meant, to the, you know, where I said, you know, not everyone is prepared to go out on a limb and risk policies and procedures. Uh, I do. I don't, I don't actually, um, my first priority is getting a result. And sometimes the result is, don't let that stop you. Now let's see what we can do. Or I'm not listening to that BS. Now let's see what we can do. And we all, there's always a way, always. We may have to do it differently, um, but there's always a way to do something. And there's always solutions. Someone has done it before you. It doesn't matter what it is. And if they haven't done it before you, let's collect all the skills of the people that we know and create a recipe for doing it. Um, and it should work out. And I guess maybe I did it out of necessity, out of desperation. Um, and out of, I had to stop feeling sorry for myself. I had to stop and give myself a, you know, as my family say, cop onto yourself. Um, and I did. And look where it's taken me. It took me in a lot better route. Mm. I have this mad picture in my head of you doing whatever it takes and I have this car jack running around a car park chasing a client. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't, laughs> 
very unorthodox, <laughs> and I don't know why. But. Okay, that I am a carjacker. Yeah, no, no, with, the, with the wheel brace, sorry. You know, it's like I will. Oh, I will so <laughs> yeah. Well, I have. Look, I haven't. I haven't tried that approach um, yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe it will. Maybe someday I'll meet someone and they can t- change a tire, and you know, it's like just do it. I don't know. Um, but look, you do. It, to me, you, you have a result. You do what it takes, yeah. given a certain circumstance, and. You can, you can do what it takes mm. and it's the people. And if you look at all the people who've achieved, you know, exceptional results, they're people who were once desperate. That's what I found the interesting part. Mm. They're people who, you know, you look at Einstein, failed maths, Walt Disney, one of the biggest companies, yet he was fired from his job for lack, lack of imagination. <laughs> do you know, Michael Jordan was uh, just on the sidelines. They look at him, do you know, I mean, these people have gone on to be exceptional creators, exceptional people. Um, although they, they, came out of, for want of a better phrase, nothing. And I truly do believe, having met so many, and been friends with so many, that I think the reason for it is, is that they don't have an alternative. Mm. The only alternative is failure. That's the only, and even that isn't even an option because they live in it. So it's, you know, I either cop onto myself and I do something about it, I have nothing to lose, because um, I'm already in a bad situation. So, you know, let's just try and they don't give up and they keep trying and they keep trying and they don't get knocked back by the failure because they've been told it all their lives anyway. Mm. So it doesn't become such an issue. Whereas if somebody has been conditioned to believe that in order to be a successful human being, you have to fit, you know, X, Y, and Z box, uh, it's more difficult to achieve and a knockback uh, hits them harder. Whereas if you have somebody who's doing it, like I, I did the things I had to do because I was desperate, because it was necessity. Mm. There was one way I was growing, going, and that was six feet under with daisies on top of me. And that is, that's the reality of it. Mm. A scary reality, but that is the reality. Um, and I could use things of excuses. I can't, you know, I have epilepsy, so I can't do this. I have epilepsy, so I can't do that. You know, there's very few things that I, and, and I'm not, I'm, I suppose this is why they asked me to do the talk because it's very unusual. It's a very unusual approach mm. because most people, when they're given a label, there you go, now deal with it. And that's, you're not told how to deal with it. Um, so I suppose I was quite lucky, as strange as it may sound, to have the first early experiences in a way because they kind of prepared me, um, you know, that I can either be defined by my experiences or I can, you know, just say this is the way they are and let's create good ones. Um, and that has been my mission over the last 20 years and, and going forward uh, to create as many good experiences as I can for me and other people. Mm. Um, and I'll do whatever it takes. Out of curiosity, is there, any, um, is there any significant people or sort of hero type people that you would you know, stand out in your life? Um, funnily enough, I think I actually, th- I mean, there's, there's, I've met so many people, but I actually think one of the most humble people that I've ever met that has, has stood out in my life is John Boyle um, from Boyle Sports. Mm. Uh, such, I know him 15 years. And he was one of the people actually that, that I met up with uh, using the strategy. Um, he had very bad alcohol problems, um, yet he went on to create a billion-year company. Two billion now. Um, and I thought, what's he doing? I wanted to know. Mm. Um, and I was at a talk and I asked him to meet up. And he knew I had no agenda. I wasn't looking for print and contract or I wasn't looking for advertising or whatever. Um, so we met up and we got on really well. Um, and then I met his partner and we've become friends. And then it, obviously, the, you know, that's just the way things happen. Um, 
and Mark Victor Hansen, I think as well. And I only realized it. Um, I know Mark for a while now for God, what is it now? 11 years. Um, and it's funny. I only realized it cause we did a, a call the other night and it was the night before the call. I, I never actually said to Mark, um, that my mom used to read chicken soup for the soul to me when I was younger. I don't know why it didn't dawn on me until like 11 years later. Um, and I, the amount of conversations that we've had and uh, I never actually told him. Uh, so I told him on that webinar, but that has been, he actually had a profound and funnily enough, we've, we've, you know, we lost kind of touch for a little while just with, you know, different events and he was doing different stuff and whatever. Um, you know, and over the last few months, uh, we've got back in touch uh, more regularly. Um, and again, there's lots of great stuff we're going to do. So, you know, it's funny how people kind of step in and out of your lives. Um, not that he ever stepped out, but you know what I mean? Yeah. That uh, when people are there at poignant moments and I suppose, yeah, so, so those two. And of course, Pat Slattery then as well. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I have to say on that note, I did keep up the habit of meeting people um, and because I found it a very good strategy to learn from people. And even though I started to become successful myself, I never felt that I should ever become so egotistical that I wouldn't learn from other people. So I always remain teachable. Um, and in 2000, at the end of 2008, I think it was, uh, Pat did a talk and he was actually was part of a property network because uh, I bought property and I'd written a book on property and, um, I asked him to meet up and again, I had no agenda. Um, so he ended up working actually with the event company that myself and another two guys had set up. Um, and, you know, now here we are. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, it's amazing the way things, and in actual fact, we were in the same room that we know. We were, we were definitely in the same room in 2004 at a seminar and we didn't meet, well, we could have met, but we didn't have a big long conversation. And we also, uh, when I was 20, um, I, I got back into my modeling and I had a casting down in Limerick and he actually was 99.9% on the door that day and I walked straight past him. So there you go. People come into your life at the right time. Do you believe, so it's, do you believe in fate? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I believe that there's something bigger. I, I don't think it's as clear cut as, as fate because I think if fate, would there be no point in doing anything because it's all going to work out the same anyway. Um, you know, so, so I, I don't believe to that point. So whatever will be, will be. Um, I do believe we steer our lives and I do believe we have choice. And I believe, I believe that we have lots of different paths that we can go down. Um, I certainly believe in something bigger. I'm not of any form of religion um, because it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit with, with me. Um, but I definitely believe that there's something bigger, that there's a higher energy um, that we're all part of. And I think at times where, you know, we have so many different paths and, you know, it's like any, you're going to walk for a long time, you're going to come to different roads and you choose what road you go down and then you come to another one, you choose what road you go down there. Um, I could have went down lots of different roads that were very different to the ones that I am at now. Um, so I think we kind of have, we have a, a part to play. Um, I don't think we can, we can blame faith that well, this was all happening because, you know, somebody up there made it happen. Um, I think we, we're responsible. We are responsible for a lot of our own choices. And I think, you know, if we look at even globally, um, a lot of the choices that we've made, even as nations and as, as people, they haven't been probably good choices. Uh, but whose fault is that? <laughs> you know, we can all blame everybody else. But, you know, my choices, uh, I was very miserable for a while, but whose choice was that? It was mine. It was a bad choice. Um, I can make good choices now. 
and we can all make good choices and our choices will predict what and determine what roads we go down and who we bring down with us. So the people we go down hand in hand on those roads. So that's what I believe. Um, so I suppose it's not a clear cut answer. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's just the way I see it. So I'm, I'm kind of a little bit, it's a gray area for me. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm strong enough on my opinion yet on that area because I don't have, I don't have enough, um, evidence to say that this is exactly everyone's life is destined to be a certain way um i i've just seen too many changes mm. to believe it's that clear cut sure so i mean you mentioned that you're not religious would you call yourself spiritual uh yeah um to a point i believe that like i I do believe that there's something, there's definitely, definitely something bigger. I do believe it's, I, I don't see it as a, as a person sitting up on a throne in the clouds. Mm. That's just personally for me. Mm. Um, I don't see, a, um, I actually, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. Um, that's the way I feel. Mm. I, I can, I can feel it. I, I, there you go. My kinesthetics, I can feel it. <laughs> um, I also, from people who have, I mean, if you've ever been around, it may sound like an odd thing to say, but if you've ever been in the presence of somebody when they die, um, you know that there is something there mm. um, where you know, we conduct electricity mm. our, our bodies are made up of 80% water which is the best conductor of electricity we are energetic beings um, you know you, you have a kettle a kettle is just matter you plug it in and then it becomes you know it has so much ability and I think we're about the same you know we're, we're just vessels and we're plugged in and then we're plugged out at other times but electricity doesn't just go it's still there mm-hmm. so I believe there is a there is a bigger source of that electricity or energy, whatever way you want to call it. Mm. Um, there is definitely a bigger source. Energy can't be created or destroyed, so it's there. Um, and when somebody dies, that energy is you can physically feel it leave. Um, there's a very different there's a very different um, separation. I didn't see anything, um, so I you know it's, it's not like the movie Ghost where someone kind of just you know <laughs> transplants out. I'm sure people have, but I haven't. Um, but I've definitely felt, I've mm. definitely felt, um, I've felt at different times um, and I've been around a couple of people mm. uh, who've passed away and uh, yeah, there's a definite difference. So that can't just be coincidence. Um, you know, but again, I haven't, I don't think I'm pompous enough to formulate a, an exact opinion on that because I don't think any of us will can say that we're a hundred percent right. We'll all find out one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can have theories and I think we can have ideas and we can have strong ideas, strong opinions, mm-hmm. but I don't think anyone can say this is my way. This is the only way. And this is what is, mm-hmm. um, you know, when there is a, a doubt there. Do you think you've been here before? I don't know that either. Mm-hmm. Everyone says says I have, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I've had people say I'm their angel as well, but I don't, <laughs> I've had a few people convinced that I'm their angel, but I don't have any invisible wings. I don't feel like an angel. Um, and I'm sure if I was, I, I'd, uh, I'd certainly know about it. Maybe I wouldn't, uh, but I don't feel like one. Um, and maybe I've been here before. Um, mm. You know, again, that's, that's something I feel, I feel like I have, but I, I don't feel like I know specifically what that means for me yet. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people, maybe that's maybe it's a good thing. A lot of people have opinions well formulated um, because they've been handed them. Um, and I guess maybe I just maybe I got it from my mother. I've just questioned so much um, things. Do they make sense, or do they feel right, or you know, is there any basis that feels in any way solid to that at all? And 
there's lots of things that, and I think personally for me, even at a basic core level, uh, which is science, and it's a very basic, basic thing because it's, it's human understanding. Um, electricity is energy and that energy cannot be, and if you look under a microscope, even at your hand, your hand looks like it's solid. It's not, it's constant moving, uh, moving cells and they're even moving atoms. So, you know, it's to negate that fact, to argue it would be a bit naive, I think. Yeah. Um, but equally naive to think that we know everything and that we've formulated an opinion that's a definite 100% truth. So for me, I'm kind of, I'm exploring it. Um, but I'm definite, I, I'm definite on the science bit. <laughs> on the basic level, we are electricity and we conduct it. So, you know, we take something out of a dryer. And actually, it's funny because, uh, you know, I keep giving Ashton little... I, you know, you go past him and you touch his head and I keep giving him shocks, um, static shocks. But even in winter, we actually get more uh, static shocks than we do in summer. And that's because the, the moisture in the air is different mm. and electrons bounce differently um, depending on the air and how much moisture is in. So that tells us, you know, that our, even our, our cells and our electrons are moving depending on how much moisture is in the air. So we're fully, you know, if, uh, if we're, Water creatures, let's say, uh, we're going to conduct a lot, a lot of, a lot of electricity. Yeah. If water goes, we don't a lot. And I think when somebody dies, uh, the blood stops. And blood is made up of a lot of water. Yeah. Um, so it goes somewhere else. That's what I think. Have you any concept of what you'd like your legacy to be? Um, the people say, I just cool. <laughs> um, I think just to impact as many people as I can. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I'll just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know, as, as we go along, I'll, I'll learn more and I'll learn more and then I'll just spread that out. But I think maybe to be, to be a person of, of good energy, mm-hmm. be a person of high energy, that's what I'd like. You know, and for people to, but I, I said to Pat, when I die, I want him to cremate me and I want to put some of my ashes. I'm quite serious when I say this. <laughs> you could actually, you've, you've got this on record, yeah. so please replay. There you go. <laughs> if, if I go before him, um, I told him, I want to take a little bit of my ashes and I want you to put them in a firework and just do a fireworks display. <laughs> Send me off with a fireworks. And um, that's what I, you know, there's a way to go in fireworks. We'll spread you all over um, Dublin. <laughs> that's, no, a beach would be nicer, but <laughs> I'll end up on top of this fire. So, <laughs> yeah, find a nice place and shove them, do a fireworks display. Well, um, a ball of energy. That's what I'd like to be remembered. Oh, wow. Well. Fair play. Tell me this quite importantly. Do you remember what your snail was called? Chrissy. Chrissy. <laughs> and I, I had my dad. My dad was a fishmonger, and he um, <laughs> he used to get those, you know, the the five boxes that you put the whatever arrow board, you know, the boxes that they put fish mm. in. Um, and I got he gave me one of those, and I made a whole bathroom suite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was very imaginative as a child. Um, I probably still am but yeah I, uh, I, I always use my mind to create stuff Lovely So tell me this I mean fire in the belly if you were to summarise it in a word or a couple of words what would it be for you? I would say fire in the belly is igniting somebody's energy and making sure that it, stayed, it stays ignited mm. And that is a two part process obviously you know it's something you said there you know the obviously ignition bit's fine but it's, it's make sure it's lasting yeah. yeah. Nice. 
Amazing. Honestly, Donna, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much. Um, just re- Thank you. Just remind people how they can get in touch with you and how the best best way to reach out. Yeah, you can email me at info at donnakennedy.com, um, D-O-N-N-A-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y, uh, dot com, and you can also find me all over social media. Um, and anywhere else you can find me at events so you can seek me out I'm happy to talk uh, <laughs> and listen thank you so much I really appreciate your time today and uh, yeah thank you. look forward to seeing what happens in the future thank you likewise take care well that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly you know this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys and boy oh boy sometimes it is personal it's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on We've loads more episodes coming up soon, and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So, all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.